Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hi, everyone. Happy Wednesday, and welcome back to the She Built This podcast. Ever since I could read, which my mom tells me was when I was three and a half years old, I have had my face buried in some sort of book. So in preparing for today, I was kind of trying to remember some of my favorite books from growing up. And I know I started with those Beatrix Potter books, and I loved Shel Silverstein's poetry, and Clifford the Big Red Dog, of course, maybe just because he had Emily Elizabeth as his owner. Um, and then I got older and I started advancing to like, you know, I love Nancy Drew and the Babysitter's Club. Who was your favorite Babysitter's Club girl? I don't actually know mine. I'm thinking Mallory was, but she was kind of nerdy, I think. I bet that says a lot about you, actually. Um, and I bet there's a quiz. I'm going to have to look that up after because I need to find out who my favorite Babysitter's Club person is. And what it says about me. Um, I also loved those choose your own adventure books, you know, where you got to like each chapter, you got to pick what happened at the end. But now I'm into like pretty much everything business. So for example, today, just today, I got Rhinoceros Success and Beginner's Pluck delivered to my door. And I also try to squeeze in inspirational books and fun books as a guilty pleasure every now and then. Um, something I recently shared on, on my website was called a bookshelf. And so I got this idea from an author friend of mine, June Converse. And what I do is I put the books that I'm reading or have read or um, find to be valuable resources right there so that I can share them with other people as well. So you can kind of find your next read on there if you go check it out. That's emilyaborn.com. I've also had the opportunity in my marketing business to help five authors and all of which are writing their second book or greater. It's been super fun and rewarding. And of course, the, the bonus is that I get to read everything that they're writing. And that is everything from women's romance to books on spirituality to compilation books. Um, and I get to read all those as I work on them. So it's really fun. As much as I love reading, though, I also love writing. I don't know about you, but I have like this burning desire inside of me to write a book someday. I just have not yet decided what I want that book to be about. Did you know that 80% of Americans believe that they should write and publish a book, but less than 1% actually does? Today, we're going to be with Robin Colucci, who is helping to change all of that and help people to get that powerful message onto the page and into the hands of their ideal audience. You are going to love this interview. Robin helps world-class experts, and she is a powerhouse of knowledge. Robin helps world-class experts to write world-changing books. Her clients have been published by Big Five Publishing Houses, and others have self-published. Many have won awards, received outstanding book reviews, and or appeared on Amazon, USA Today, and the New York Times bestsellers list. Whether top professionals or CEOs, astronauts or Nobel laureates, each of her clients come to her for help to write a substan substantive book that first and foremost improves the lives of others as it supports the author's aims. 
Just before becoming a book coach, Robin was an acquisitions editor for an independent publishing house. She was put in charge of selecting works for publication, and she realized that experts who are not professional writers need help to move book projects from start to finish. She's also worked as a newspaper reporter and researched and or written freelance articles for the Washington Post, New York Times Magazine, and Newsweek. She has a BA in journalism from George Washington University, and her book, How to Write a Book That Sells You, Increase Your Credibility, Income, and Impact, is available on Amazon. She also has two grown children and lives in Connecticut near the beach with her pug. Hi, Robin. Welcome to the show. Hey, Emily. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. What is your pug's name? His name is Elway oh. because uh, <laughs> we lived in Denver when, when we got him, and um, John Elway, of course, was a big quarterback in Denver. So for the Denver Broncos. It's ironic because he's such a tiny little dog. And (laughs) yes, he's just a little cutie pie. Um, I mean, the dog. Yeah. Not not John Ellen. No, he's a big one. (laughs) He's quite larger. Yes. Um, So to start out, I would love to hear more about your story and how you got started doing what you do. Oh boy. Well, um, yeah, I, I was, as you heard, I, I was studied journalism, um, was working for the Washington post while I was in college actually, um, at, at GW. And, uh, when I got close to graduation, my, um, the chairman of the journalism department called me into his office and said, Hey, I've recommended you for a job with the New York times bestselling author and if if he if he offers you the job I think you should leave the post to take it and I thought that was really strange because I was you know planning on being a reporter and I was working for the post and doing some freelance for them so but he he encouraged me to go with an open mind so I did and it turned out that um the the gentleman was um David Wise who at the time was one of the world world's leading experts on espionage in the cold war. And, um, and he, he offered me the job and I did leave the post to take it. And <clears throat> over the course of three years, we did three books in three different genres, um, one spy thriller novel, one political science textbook and a mass market, uh, nonfiction book about a, former CIA agent who sold secrets to the Russians and then fled to Moscow while under FBI surveillance um, called the spy who got away. And so it was really a fun job. (laughs) And, uh, and I learned a ton about the publishing industry and I, I didn't think I was going to go into publishing um, in that realm. I was planning on, being just a straight journalist. And then I I went and got a newspaper reporting job at a mid-sized metropolitan newspaper in Florida and discovered rather quickly that I actually did not like the day-to-day um, you know experience of being a reporter where you work really bizarre hours and uh, get paid very little, mostly to be, you know, vilified by whoever's side of the, you know, whoever didn't like your story. (laughs) So, you know, even though you just reported what the actual facts that didn't always protect you from getting a lot of uh, 
pushback. So it was, it was not really a fun job. And, um, I thought I was going, I thought I was done with publishing. I felt very disillusioned. Um, the, the journalism standards at the paper I was at in central Florida were nowhere near the Washington post. It was also very disillusioning to me in terms of, uh, you know, just the, the expectations weren't at the level that I was used to that I, that I really had come to appreciate at the post. And so, um, I, I thought I was done with journalism. I started a personal fitness training business in Denver, built it to the point where I had a commercial location with a studio and eight trainers working for me. And it was, you know, really fun. I, I'd, I'd always been interested in fitness. I had been a competitive gymnast um, in my teen years. Me too. What level did you get to? Um, I, I, well, I was on my team at GW briefly. Um, I competed at the state level in, in Maryland and before that in Pennsylvania when I was uh, in middle school and high school. So that never anything beyond that though. And, and let me tell you, if you're younger than me, like gymnastics was a completely different sport by the time you were doing it, <laughs> like a much harder sport. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I was doing gymnastics. I started gymnastics when Olga Corbett was, was the bomb. And I, was like, you know, halfway through my career in gymnastics when Nadia Komenich, uh completely transformed how they score gymnastics and how they do everything in gymnastics. So it, it was an interesting time to be in gymnastics. But anyway, um, I have huge admiration for the ladies who do it now because I don't think I'd ever have the courage to do it at that level. Same, me neither. Right? I mean, it's just like, oh my God, like it's just, it's a different sport in so many ways, but it's it's still really fun to watch. But so anyway, that that's how I had that sort of connection to fitness. And, um, and so after about 10 years of doing that, I, I realized that it wasn't really my calling and I needed to find something else. And I wasn't sure what that was going to be, but I sold my fitness business and that gave me some, you know, a little, a little bit of money, you know, that I didn't have to work for necessarily have to work for a couple of years and I could sort of figure it out. And so my, my original plan was to, um, be a business coach for wellness professionals, because one thing I'd learned after working 10 years in fitness and networking with a lot of other people in that space was that they tend to think more like artists than, than business people. Um, and I don't mean that there are artists who think like business people as I've come to learn, but you know, generally like they were so focused on the work, it was really hard for them to focus on the money side and the sales side. And I, for some reason, have always had an ability to kind of do both. And so, um, so I started to coach some people who had wellness businesses who were in real trouble and helped coach them out of the hole and, you know, into profitability. And, um, and that was fun and interesting. And, and, but then an interesting thing started to happen, which is some of my clients started to say, well, you know, what I really want to do is write a book. And I was like, oh, totally could help you with that. Cause you know, like, and it was like, all of a sudden it was like, you know, I'm back in this little office in Washington, DC with David Wise thinking of all the things that I learned, you know, in the late eighties when I was working with David and, um, you know, but by now it's like the early two thousands, you know? And, uh, and so I 
started to help some of my clients with that and they started to get extraordinary results, you know, like getting agents, book deals, uh, bestsellers. And, and then I remembered like how much I enjoyed it. So I just started to lean into that and that's how I got here. So So let's, let's start with that. How can a book be used as a powerful tool for our businesses and our brands? Yeah. Well, and that's a, I think that's such an important question. I'm so glad that you asked it because um, I think that when people focus just on book sales, um, especially when you're a subject matter expert and you're writing a nonfiction book in order to grow your brand and your business, um, book sales is, is a very small part of the picture. And so what, what a book really can do for you, I think, is it can, it can boost your business and your brand and your bank account, you know, by, by, by really employing your book in three key areas of your business, excuse me. And those would be marketing sales and delivery of service. So, you know, in terms of marketing, obviously becoming an author provides you a certain amount of credibility that, that can be used in, in your marketing communication um, you can use your book to send to um, potential clients as an entree tool. And if it's a quality book, that can be really powerful. Um, you can uh, u- utilize your book in all kinds of different ways in terms of, you know, online offers, free, free plus shipping offers, things like that to build your list. Um, obviously, it's easier to get booked to speak, it's easier to get booked on the media, um, in traditional media, by having a book. So all of those ways are just a few examples of how you can use your book in, in, as a marketing tool. Um, in terms of sales, what I found is that if you uh, are in a conversation, it can work both ways. Like one one side is if you're in a conversation with someone who's interested in working with you and then they read your book and they can really get a deeper sense of who you are and your philosophy and your approach that can really tip them over into wanting to hire you. Um, another thing is it, it increases your uh, other people's ability to refer to you. Right. So I've had clients of mine or contacts of mine buy my book without my knowledge for other people and gift it to them and say, you need to hire her. Here's her book. And then lo and behold, they end up hiring me. Or sometimes somebody will read my book, and this has happened to many of my clients as well, where that somebody finds your book, you know, through a, it could be a Google search or or in a bookstore or whatever, and then they they feel such a connection with what you're saying, and they just know you're the right person, right? So they'll reach out and say, I've read your book. I know I have to work with you. What's it going to take? Um, which is my favorite kind of conversations. <laughs> And then in addition, um, I'm sure it opens up to speaking opportunities and stuff too. So yeah. All right. Let me, okay. First of all, is Elway snoozing on your lap oh my right God. now? Can you hear? Oh my God. No, yes. leave it, leave it. It's so okay. cute. It is. He is. Yes. And I don't even hear it. Right. Cause he sits next to me all day long and snores. And I have a real, I have a funny, like quick little story. So one time I'm on the phone with a client and this is, I I do zoom calls now so we can see each other, but it was just an audio. It was just, just on the phone. And I'm listening very intently to what my client is saying. And my pug is sitting next to me snoring. And 
And I'm just sitting there like quietly, like really listening, like hanging on every word that my client's saying. And finally she stops and she goes, Robin. <laughs> oh, that's funny. She thought you fell asleep. At first, at first, I'm here. I'm here. I knew immediately. I was like, I'm here. I'm here. It's not me. It's my pug. <laughs> at, at first I thought it was my stomach growling. And then I'm like, no, I don't think so. But I love it. Leave it. Um, so speaking of distractions, uh, right. what are some common distractions that you see like roadblocks, I guess, that prevent people from becoming authors or maybe even misunderstandings? Yeah, I think that the biggest misunderstanding that I see that holds people back is the idea that there's a perfect time to start. Um, the, the fact is that every single one of my clients is extremely busy, usually running their own organization, um, managing a family, you know, doing all the things, you know, putting in ridiculous hours, huge travel schedules. Um, and no matter how you look at it, like it's going to be inconvenient to write a book. And the, the best thing to do, I mean, I think there is a perfect time to start in terms of like your own career development, right? But let's assume that you're ready to do it, right? That it's, it's, the, it's the right time in your career to do it. Then it's just a matter of, it, it's really kind of like getting pregnant. Like there's, there's not really a perfect time where you said, oh, now, you know, I totally, it's going to be like a breeze for me to make room for this pregnancy and child. Like there's, you know, there's just, you just at some point have to decide this is something I want in my life and I'm going to do it before I run out of time to do it, you know? And that's really what it is with books. So I think the biggest distraction I've seen is people having this con ongoing conversation with themselves that says, Oh yeah, I'm going to do that one day when things calm down. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. I actually heard that, um, on, with a podcast guest just before you. So, uh, interesting. <laughs> all right. So this is, this is something I often wonder about. I have read some amazing books. I love reading and I've also read some really terrible books. Do you believe that everyone has a book inside of them? I actually do not. Okay. I don't think everyone has a book inside. Okay. Tell us why. What are some <laughs> that's against the, uh, the, the, yeah. So I, I, I don't think everyone needs to write a book. And, um, and I, I don't, I, I think that, you know, the way that I look at authorship is that it, it should serve a, a bigger purpose that beyond just saying you're an author, um, that, that it should be tied to a bigger mission or vision that of something that you want to create. And even then a book isn't always the perfect tool. And I think it's, it's really important to look at who's your audience. Um, does your audience read? Right. I mean, I've, I've talked to some people who have incredible messages, but they're for an audience that doesn't read, you know, <laughs> so, you know, there's, I'm not saying don't communicate with your audience, but the fact is that it, it might not be the right form of communication for every message and for every audience. And so I think it's important also, um, you, you've got to think of it in terms of like, what do you value? Do you, do you, uh, you know, I've talked to some people who are just absolutely brilliant, perfectly capable of writing a book. And they're just like, yeah, I just have never felt that desire. I think if you don't feel a desire to write a book, you, you, you don't need to write one. Um, you know, it's, uh, 
there's, there's a lot of ways to get your message out. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really just about what makes the most strategic sense and then what fits with, with who you are and what you want to accomplish. Okay. So let's say, um, this, this person is ready and they do have a book inside of them and they've decided, okay, I'm going to sit down and do this. What steps do they need to take after they make that decision? Yeah, that's, I'm so happy you asked that question. A lot of people would say, would answer that by saying, well, they need to sit down and start writing. But I have found that that is actually one of the worst things that you can do first. Um, Because (laughs) the most important thing for somebody to do once they make up their mind to write a book, really the most important thing is to come up with what I call a clear, saleable concept. And what that means is it has to meet three criteria. And number one, it has to be aligned with you. So who you are, what what your values are, what you stand for, and also what you want out of life and how you want to live your life. Because your book will generate momentum in in the direction that you wrote it, and you will be known by your book. So I've had a lot of people come to me and say, you know, tell me about some traumatic experience that they had, for example, where, and everybody they know says, oh my gosh, you should write a book about that. And they come to me and ask me about it. And I say, well, do you want to be known for that? Hmm, That's really powerful. Yeah, that is so true. Right. And you, and often the answer is no. And I'm like, okay. And then the other question is, do you want to be talking about this for the next five years? Well, a lot of times if it's a traumatic event, the answer is absolutely no. Because every time they talk about it, they relive it. So, you know, so is it aligned with you and does it make sense for who you are, how you want to be known, where you want to go in the world, in your life? Then the other criteria is it's got to be a match for your ideal reader and what they already know that they want, which is different than what you already know that they need. So it's about choosing an angle to come in with your book that's meeting your reader where they are at. Where are they now? Not where you're going to take them by the end of the book, but you've got to meet them with what they already know they want. So, for example, if you're you're a dating and relationship expert, we're not going to write a book called Heal Your Relationship with Your Parents and Forgive Your Ex, you know. Right. Your perfect romance. <laughs> right. Right. We're not, because that might be what they need to know, but it's not what they want. So it's going to be call in the one or find love now or right. So it's like, you've got to meet them where they, where they are. And then you've got their ear or their eyes or their mind, you know, you've got their attention and then you can give them what they need. Then the third criteria of a clear sellable concept and this is the one that scares people the most, is that it's got to be unique in the marketplace. It's got to be the first book ever to, and then you fill in the blank of what that's going to do. Now, this is the one that usually gets people, uh, you know, and, and people of all levels, by the way, they get, oh my gosh, like, how could that possibly be? Like, I'm in the health and fitness space, or I'm in the the, the business space, or, you know, there's so many, I'm in the self-help, the personal development space. So there's, there's a lot of places where there's a lot of voices, right? And there's like a lot of books. And so the question is, how can I find that unique thing? And 
The answer is you absolutely can and you will and you must before you start writing because otherwise, you know, nobody wants to publish the second book to do anything, right? And, and, and most people don't want to read it either, especially if the, if the first book was a big success, you know. How long would you say on average it takes to write a book? Well, I'd say a, a, <clears throat> to write a good full-length book, I'd allow a minimum of three months if you have help. Um, like a good, you know, at least a good coach to help you. Um, and it really should not, it, there's no, there's no, for a lot of books, I'd say for the vast majority of books, there's really, if it takes longer than a year, you're probably getting distracted, you know, and dilly dallying a bit. Although it, you um, know, so I've heard, I've heard that when you're writing a book, you need to every day sit down and carve out like you know, an hour or half an hour, however much time you designate, but you need to write every single day. Do you, do you agree with that? And, and I also want to hear what your advice is for somebody, like what you give as your number one piece of advice. As far as getting it done. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is, it is about writing consistently. I think having some kind of deadline structure, I, I don't necessarily recommend that people need to write every day um, because you know, it's, it's funny. Like I, I actually don't write every day. What I do when I'm working on my own piece is I, I walk, I, I may, be, I usually write about once a week. And what I do is the rest of the other six days, I walk around with the ideas in my head and I start and I stew on them. And I kind of like have them in the back of my mind when I'm walking the dog or, you know, I just, I just kind of let them simmer. And then I sit down and I write for like, three or four hours and I just like fire hose it all out. Um, and I might, you know, get a couple thousand words done in, in, in one day. Um, and so I think it's really about trying different things and seeing what works for you. Um, I don't know if it's, it's kind of funny because as a, you know, you'll, you'll appreciate this since you were a gymnast. Like, I, I guess I kind of, from, from a very young age, right. I trained to have long rest periods and then very brief, intense bursts of output. <laughs> right. Right. Like a sprint. Right. You know, it's like, I'm a sprinter. Right. And so, um, so for me to, to just kind of sit with it and then just sit down and grind and then leave it alone again, um, is how I work best. A lot of other people, they do better just getting up at the same time every morning and doing an hour or two. I do recommend, here's the thing. If you are going to write every day or whenever you do sit down to write, I recommend you give yourself, if you, you know, ideally you want to give yourself at least an hour because sometimes it can take 20, 30 minutes just to kind of find your zone. Um, and so that gives you a little bit more room like if, if you set the timer and it goes off in 30 minutes, you might only get a good 10 minutes out of yourself. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, even just when I'm writing a blog, if I'm trying to rush it, it's like, it'll be really bad as opposed to one, like you said, that's been stewing around in my head for days and days and days. And then finally I sit down to actually hash it out. Yeah. I think, I think it's important to recognize it's a creative, you know, any creative pursuit, um, you know, you're, you're walking around like, 
you're working on it in a way you're working on it all the time, right? Cause it's in there and it's, it's spinning around. Now you have to sit down and put cursor to, to screen or pen to paper or whatever you're going to do it. You've got to get it out of your head at some point. And, and I'm not saying that you can't, you can just compose a whole book in your mind and then, and then write it down. Like you do have to get it out in chunks, but I think that a lot of people discount, and this is why I don't believe in the write a book in a weekend kind of model. Um, you know what I'm talking about, about like idea through publication in, in 30 days or something. It's like you're, what you're robbing yourself of when you approach a book that way is all that stuff that happens on the subconscious level when you're, when you just finished writing, you know, a couple of subheadings in a chapter and you're walking around and then all of a sudden like another insight hits you, something like you never even saw before ever, never mind in your book. And when you give yourself enough room to have those moments, then you end up with a better book, which is why I say a minimum of, of, of three months. All right. So what if a person, I saw, I saw this question on your website, so I know you have an answer. Um, what if a person doesn't feel good enough or smart enough or experienced enough to write a book? I, well, the first thing I would say is welcome to the club. Uh, you know, I call it the fraud factor. I actually have, um, for your listeners, uh, you could, I actually have, if you go to my website on my book page, I actually have a free download of a, of a 20 minute um, meditation on dealing with the fraud factor. So I guess one thing I'd say is go get my free recording on my website. It's at robinclucci.com forward slash book. And it's free. You can just download it and it's yours. So that's, that's one thing to know. Um, but, but really the fraud factor is, is very common. Um, I've, I've, I, I really believe that no matter what level a person is at in their career, and I've worked with some of the top people in their fields, that there's there's always a little bit of that, um, or sometimes a lot of it. But you know, even like nobody's ever really totally free of that kind of imposter feeling, um, and so uh, it's really just about. First of all, the first thing I would say is when you figure out that unique aspect of your saleable concept, like what is it that you actually have to say that no one else is saying, that wipes away a lot of that self-doubt because then you can look at the top like loudest voices in your field and recognize that if you were on a panel with the five top you know, best-selling experts in your field and you knew for a fact you could bring up an insight or raise a point of view that is really important that none of them has come up with, then that, that really can change how you see yourself in, in, in that field. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I, it's so important to figure out what that unique, you know, special sauce is because it, it really wipes out, I'd say a good 70% of the fraud factor. And I think the rest of it is you just have to recognize, just do your best and you know, I think it's the most important thing is to write the best book that you can and get professional help, you know, hire a really good editor, hire a really good proofreader, hire a great designer. If you're self-publishing, get a great designer 
who can put out a book for you that looks like it could have, like it was traditionally published, right? That someone who doesn't know the difference, doesn't know what they're looking at, would, would never think for a second that it was self-published. Because you can tell the ones that are self-published, right? You don't have to be, like, there's a lot of self-published books. You're like, yep. <laughs> oh, Tell me a little bit about the pros and cons of self-publishing versus not. Yeah, it's it's a strategic decision is how I look at it. I'd say about uh, most of my clients traditionally publish at this point, but I still have about 30% who self-publish. And and really, it's um, it's a lot of times it's about speed. So if, if you want to book out, you know, within six months, um, because you have something specific in mind that you want to do with it, you 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 will be self publishing. Um, the 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 process to a traditional the path traditional publishing. Um, by the time you're done with a book proposal, getting an agent, getting the book deal signed, writing the manuscript, and getting it on the publisher's calendar, you're looking at on average probably 18 months. Um, but while you can write and self publish a book within you know, six months and do an excellent job. So that's, that's a huge difference. Um, people, sometimes people say that a plus of self-publishing versus traditional is quote creative control. I have not really found that to be an issue. Um, you know, if a publisher likes your idea and they buy your book, they're, they're usually pretty happy that just that you deliver it. Um, and, and, you know, if it's, if it's something they can use, they're, they're happy. Um, I really have not had the, the experience of publishers locking horns with, with authors over, over creative control. Um, and so that I think is a, a non-factor, even though it gets reported a lot as like, as if it's important, but what can be important is like, why are you writing the book? How are you going to get the book in front of people? You know, if your primary way of getting the book is your awesome speaking platform, if that's your primary way of distributing your book, you could make a lot more money selling it yourself in the back of the room than getting a book deal for people. So I think it's really about um, looking at the whole picture of what does the author want to accomplish? Where are they at in their development? Um, you know, if you're just getting started and you don't have a very big audience, but you want to get a book out and or if you if you've been at it for a long time, but your audience is highly niched and small, and you just have a very targeted group of people you're going after, then a traditional book deal probably wouldn't make sense for you, right? Because you don't need everyone. You know, if you might only need a few thousand people to read your book, and you know to to solidify your multiple seven figure business or eight figure business. You know, if, if you're a high-level consultant who's doing a really specialized kind of work, um, maybe you don't need a book deal, but you need a book. So so it's very um, individual. Okay. Um, all right. So here's a little bit more of a fun question. <laughs> what, are you, what are you reading right now? And I guess, like, what's your favorite book? If you could, if you could pick just oh, one. So hard. My favorite. You didn't. Okay, my favorite book. Oh my god, I don't even know. Um, well, we. Well, maybe the book that you learned the most. Yeah, I mean the books. So, I'm I'm actually reading right now how to be an anti-racist, and I cannot pronounce the author's names. Ibram X. Kendi. 
liberal candy. So, and so one of the things, so I, I like to, I think the books that I've learned the most from are books kind of like this one or, um, you know, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Like, I like to read books um, that are coming from like a perspective that I don't have access to through my own experience. So the books I've learned the most from, I think, are books that are written about like a different life than, than the one that I've led or, or the, you know, the, the way that I was brought up or whatever. Um, and I, and I just to get like a different perspective and to have an opportunity to get a peek into somebody else's experience. Um, so, and, and to learn and develop a greater understanding or empathy for other people's experience. Um, and, and on, and, and I, but I also would have to admit, like, a lot of the books I've really learned the most from and that have actually impacted my life in a more tangible way would be, you know, I've, I've read a lot of really great business books, you know, and, um, you know, I, I'd probably say, like, Think and Grow Rich is, like, the classic that, um, that you know, by Napoleon Hill that I would say changed my life because I read that book the first time, I want to say in the early 1990s. And that got me thinking about having my own business. And, you know, with, by 1991, I had my own fitness training business. So, and that really turned out to be oddly essential to, to my being who I am in, in my current business, because, because I'm able, because I've, because I've, conceived, built, and sold a business, you know, conceived, built, scaled, and sold a business. I'm able to work with my clients who, who are in that entrepreneurial position and understand, you know, and be able to have that intelligent, you know, experience-based conversation with them about a lot of those issues, right? So a lot of my clients are CEOs and business leaders. And so the fact that I can converse on that level and understand not just what they're writing about, but what they're going through, um, turned out to be a really important detour, if you will. <laughs> so why do you think, what is the reason that people don't finish reading books that they start? Because I know we're all guilty of this. We have a pile of mm -hmm. the ones that we had the best intention to read and we started reading them. And I, you know what? I got to the point where I, I stopped because for me, there's so much stuff that I want to read that it's a waste of my time to spend it reading something that isn't doing it for me by like, say, chapter three or four, yep. you know? Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is it's not always because the, the book is poorly written. Um, one interesting thing I, because I'm sort of a nerd when it comes to this stuff. So I Google all kinds of crazy stuff about book statistics. And one of the things I came up one of the things I found is that um the like the top books um like Goodreads had this uh this report that um I think that some of the top selling books of all time like classics are also the 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 most the ones that have been left the most before they were finished um and I mean like you know classics like Catcher in the Rye and catch 22 and whatever else is catch, you know, but <laughs> I mean, like top, top books. Yeah. So, 
it's not all so I would say this it's not all the author's fault right we're clear on that right like you can you can be a great writer you can have a great topic it doesn't mean everyone's going to finish your book having said that though um I think that so and those things we can't control as authors right um but I think that there are some reasons why people leave a book and um that we can control and you know, one of them is, uh, you know, meandering, right. <laughs> or, or getting confusing or going off topic or going down rabbit trails. Those are all things that make people stop. Confusion is the number one thing that makes people stop. A confused mind says no. So if you're not clear, um, people will stop reading your book. So I think, I think one thing that is, is really important. And I, 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 I don't think that all authors keep this in mind is that even though you might have a book that has tons of great information, we all must recognize that the, the industry that we're really in first and foremost is entertainment. And so you've got to be engaging with that reader. You've got to keep them interested, which means I don't care how serious your topic is. You better have some humor in there somewhere. Yeah. And you've got to give them a break, right? Like, like, I don't care how serious or painful or whatever it is that you need to tell them, but you've got to, you've got to recognize that you're dealing with a, a human being who prefers pleasure over pain. And so, <laughs> cause all humans do <laughs> pretty much most of them. So, <laughs> so, you know, and being entertaining is really important which is why it's so great to have, you know, anecdotes and stories. And, you know, people don't remember facts and figures nearly as well as they remember a story. So you want to tell them a story. Um, and one thing that, that, especially if you're writing any kind of instructive book, that's, that's really vital. And um, I'm constantly helping my clients adjust their language uh, to, to avoid this one pitfall is you want to be very careful never to assume that you know your reader's experience or come across as if you you know you're making that assumption because what that so if you say i know that you have done this or this or you have thought this or this or you must be feeling this right now because as soon as you do that and i know i've we all probably have some books where we came across something like that. And whether we were consciously aware of it or not, that was the end of our relationship with that author, you know, because what happens is it triggers the subconscious mind to say, you know, screw you. You don't know me. And that's it. Even if, even if they're, even if the author guessed right, we don't want to hear that. So a lot of it is about knowing how to talk to the reader. And you might, if you, even if you just change the language to, you know, here's something I've experienced. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when this happens, I feel this way. Right. And then the reader is receptive and, and also then they can, oh, well, and then when they can see you, they can see it in you, and then they can see it in themselves. And so that's just something that 
But a lot of the reasons why people stop reading, we have no control over. (laughs) And so we just can't stress about that. Yeah, that's really good advice. That makes a lot of sense. Well, this was fantastic. Thanks so much for joining me. And I I would love, because I know people are going to have a lot more questions. And I know your website is jam-packed full of information and more about what you do. So can you tell us how we can find you, connect with you, and, and find your work online? Absolutely. So robincolucci.com and that's R-O-B-I-N-C-O-L-U-C-C-I. And uh, you can find me there. Um, On my website, I have information on the different things I offer. I have a expression of interest form if somebody's interested in working with me privately can fill out. I have a contact form if you just have a question. (laughs) Um, So yes, that that's that's definitely the best way. Uh, my book, How to Write a Book That Sells You, is on Amazon, and that's I really wrote that for coaches and consultants and other subject matter experts who want to write a book specifically to grow their brand, their business, and bank account. So that's, that's awesome. That's- I'm definitely going to get that book, and I will also put your website and um, all your info in the show notes too, so that people can just click right through. That's wonderful. I yeah. thank you so much, Emily. Yeah. Thank you. And a pleasure. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.